0: for a few weeks now right before the release and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, scratch resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So, when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So, right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Listener Success Story. Really excited about this week's episode. Again, we're rocking and rolling throughout Turkey season throughout the Southeast right now, and now more other states are opening up. Uh, but on this week's episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Listener Success Story, we got Mister Zachary Gibbs on from Alabama, who had success uh, using tips and tactics from the show. We're going to kind of break that apart and kind of just take it from there. But uh, Zachary, of course, thanks again for coming on the show. And I want to kick us off, kick it off, real briefly. How long have you been a listener of the podcast, and were you previously a podcast listener to other shows uh, before you started listening to the Southern Outdoorsman?
1: Yes, sir. Thanks for having me on, too. Um, I've been listening to this podcast since, I think, right before this past deer season, but I went back and listened to a whole bunch of your older podcasts, especially, like, um, some of the ones that y'all mention a lot in other podcasts. I'll go back and listen to I think like episode one forty one is one that y'all talk about a bunch. So yeah, I've listened to a bunch even though I haven't been listening that long. and I did I, I've listened to the mediator podcast a bunch a bunch. I know a lot of other of your listeners success stories. a lot of other people listen to the Meteor, but um yeah, I've been listening to other podcasts for probably a couple of years.
0: Awesome. Well, I gotta ask because it's all I'm always really curious. how did you find out or hear about the Southern outdoorsman podcast?
1: Well, I'm a member of Alabama Deer Hunters on Facebook and the WMA and Run and Gun Facebook page, all of those Facebook pages, and I just kept seeing it pop up, kept seeing that podcast pop up, kept seeing it pop up, and finally I was like, I, sh- I should probably check these guys out, and that's pretty much it.
0: Awesome, cool. I've been listening ever since. (laughs) Perfect. And you mentioned uh, episode 141. I know it's not deer season right now, but yeah, that episode with Josh Driver has been unbelievable. I think we had 120, 125 listeners success stories come in from deer season last year alone, and that's just the people that wrote in and probably half of them, you know, mentioned that episode as one of the more impactful episodes. So clearly guys, if if you're a deer hunter and you're tired of turkey content or you've listened to all of the turkey content... Go back to listen to episode 141 with Josh Driver because it absolutely will help you kill some deer. Um, But that's awesome, dude. That's for sure. So I want to kind of take it away a little bit uh, and kind of talk a little bit more about what episodes, you know, what turkey episodes have really been impactful for you, Uh, you know, some of the different guests, and also what are the specific tips or tactics or uh, techniques you've heard about on the show that have been impactful for you, maybe even helped you be successful in this last turkey you killed?
1: All right. Um episode uh two thirty, that was the one with you and Andrew uh taking your turkey season to the next level or turkey hunting to the next level. Um one thing that Andrew talked a ton about was just setups. And uh like he talked about like in twenty nineteen, uh how he, you know, set up across a branch and it was like real steep between him and the turkey and the and all that. Um just causing you or, or like making you think about where you're setting up more than just, Oh, there's a Turkey goblin. I need to sit down and call him in, you know, putting yourself in the right spot to actually have an opportunity to get the Turkey to come to you. That's one thing that's really been impactful to me, especially this year after, you know, the last two years, I haven't even pulled the trigger on a Turkey. So that was really impactful. And then, um, Episode 228 and 234, Uh, 228 was with Rich, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, but from uh, New Jersey, I think, Um, him and Jimmy Styles on episode 234, they both talk about like not getting super close to a turkey right off the jump, you know, you hear one gobbling or you roost one or whatever, everybody wants to get set up 50 yards under the tree, and uh, sometimes that's just not the best option. Um, I had one goblin, uh, I think it was the first Monday of season, and he was just hammering. And I start charging in there, get too excited, and sure enough busted him off the limb. And uh, so I, I kind of learned from that and, uh, you know, rethought kind of how close you need to get. And um, another thing, uh, or another podcast was, 237 with Mike Pentecost. And and I'm, I know a lot of the other uh, podcasts y'all have had, it seems like everybody talks at least a little bit about patience. But Mike Pentecost really kind of drove it in. And another thing that he mentioned was, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, real subtle calling, clucking. If you can call, and he I think his, pretty much his quote was that kind of stuck with me like, if you can go out and kill, call in a turkey with just a cluck. Just clucking a few times, maybe a couple purrs, and by all means go for it. But it sure is fun to add, you know, yelps, add some other realism with scratches the leaves and other stuff like that. And that's one thing that um, I think it really helped me out this year. And one last thing was uh, was episode two thirty-two, Tim Knight. Um, the way or him talking about scouting really helped me rethink like how to go about scouting and um, what to look for and all that stuff. So.
0: Yeah. And I want to piece a couple of those apart. Cause I'm, I'm interested because you mentioned a couple episodes that haven't been mentioned so far in our listener success stories, which we've only done uh, two other ones so far. Um, but one thing that you mentioned was like the episode, I think it was 2:30 with, uh, Andrew, uh, when we kind of talked about kind of how he took his turkey hunting to the next level. And you were talking about setups and you heard him talk about, you know, a good setup versus a bad set how did that impact you? And I mean, what was like your takeaway from him talking about the different setups and how to pick a good setup when you're trying to work a bird?
1: Well, yeah, um, so on my on my property, my lease, a lot of the times, you know, I'll, I'll hear a turkey gobble and this was up until last year, I would either just try to get fairly close and not really think about where I was going or I would just go to the nearest food plot that may have been three or four hundred yards away from where, from where the turkey was roosted, but um, hearing him talking about you know not putting a branch or, or a creek bottom in between you and the turkey and looking at the habitat and in South Alabama there's not a lot of topography so you don't have to worry about that as much but still looking at uh, what what's between you and the turkey and different ways or different or looking at the right place to set up to get that turkey to come to you.
0: Yeah, I think that's something I think a lot of people are guilty of, especially if you're either a newer turkey hunter or just don't have, you know, just a ton of experience or haven't hunted with a lot of really experienced turkey hunters, which is kind of like how I grew up. I I had an uncle who turkey hunted that took us hunting as like, you know, in like middle school and even like high school And he pretty much deer hunted turkeys. That was it. Uh, You know, sat up Mm -hmm. on a a food plot or something and, you know, did some calling and that was about it. Um, So I didn't really learn about, you know, proper setups and stuff like that. It was very much about brushing yourself in and that was it. So I struggled with that a lot, especially when it comes to, you know, kind of quote unquote running and gunning. You strike a bird and you just sit wherever and then you start having birds hang up Mm -hmm. on you or you have birds busting you because they get too close before you, you know, get a shot and stuff like that. Um, and you talked about how that was kind of impactful for you, you know, what about kind of like your perspective, kind of the before and afterhand of like before kind of cause like you talked about how you just set up anywhere. You didn't really think much about it to after you kind of heard that, how did that really click for you? And how did you start paying attention when you were actually in the woods of, Hey, I need to make sure I have a pretty good setup. Um, so, you know, this gobbler will actually close the distance on me.
1: Well, yeah, I actually have an example of, of, uh, example of an unsuccessful story and a, a successful story. I had a, I saw a bird on a on a road that borders my lease, and he was in full strut, and I was like, "Oh crap! I got to do something." Ended up striking him up, and got a hen real mad at me, and he got fired up and everything, and like you say, I like or like I was saying, you know, I just sat down. I got fairly close and just sat down and i didn't think about it but there was a pretty big creek bottom between me and that turkey and of course the turkey never came in and then on the one i killed this past saturday i you know i looked at my map and i made sure i knew that a lot of times when turkeys roost where the turkey i was going after when they roost there they typically go back into this oak flat that's right off of the road that he was roosted on so i went made a big loop and got into that oak flat and got to a place where I could see, you know, 40 or 50 yards, but it was still thick enough that that turkey would have to get well within range for me to, for him to see the hen and me to shoot, you know, hiding the hen and just knowing how the turkeys use the habitat to kind of make the move, make the right move.
0: Yeah. And we're going to piece apart that hunt just a little bit. And one thing that it seems like was impactful for you is the whole kind of terminology of that thought process of like hide the hen. Uh, that's something that i was extremely guilty of um you know up until really i talked to scott else about that this a year or two ago uh, of like the whole concept of hiding the hen is that something else that it seems like you really kind of applied as well with your setups is a good setup is an area where you can really hide the hen where that turkey's coming to find you and by the time he can quote unquote see where the hens at hopefully he's getting a face full of letter tss
1: <laughs> yep so honestly as thick as it is in a lot of the places, it's really easy to not even think about. But in, like, for example, in that oak flat, it's, it's fairly open. Um, and I, I remember one of your guests talking about uh, how turkey habitat is basically upskilled quail habitat. I don't remember who exactly it was, but they were talking about how quail sit in bunch grass where it's open at their eye level, but they got like a bit of canopy cover. And uh, in this area, it's like if you're standing up, you can't see maybe 20 yards. But if you sit on the ground, you can see 40 or 50 yards. You sit up next to a tree, you know. And uh, so this area, it was kind of important that I got to a place where, you know, there's a little bit of thick stuff or there was, uh, you know, even like a falling down tree or something between me and that turkey to hide me from him if that makes sense
0: oh yeah it makes perfect sense and i think that's been extremely impactful just that whole concept of quote-unquote hiding the hen which we just had scott on this week uh came out actually by the time we we're recording this podcast it came out today um where he talks a we talk a little bit more about kind of the hide the hen uh and how that can be extremely effective for anybody no matter how good of a caller or how terrible of a caller you are if you can get a bird struck up and you hide the hen And, you know, have some patience when he comes to find you, uh, should give you a great opportunity to, again, you know, shoot him right in the face. So that's that's what we're trying to do as turkey hunters. But also, one other thing you mentioned that I'm very curious on, uh, because I haven't heard it before quite yet with the other uh, listener success stories, is you talked about episode 232 with Tim Knight. And how his approach to scouting has been something that really clicked for you? Can you talk a little bit about that? You know what did he kind of say, if you remember, that really clicked, and you're like, "Hey, I need to start trying to focus on this when I'm out in the woods, and and really start paying attention to X, Y, Z, or or how he approaches the scouting for turkeys."
1: Exactly. So one thing that I've
0: always thought,
1: you know, every time you see a turkey track or scratching or a dust bowl or whatever, um, you know that happened during the daylight it's not like a deer you see a rubber, a scrape or a track you're like it could have been you know two in the morning a turkey It's gonna be in daylight i, I i'm pretty sure i don't remember exactly what all he said but I, I i'm pretty sure he was the one who was talking about who kind of uh refreshed my memory of that and saying like when you find that sign and it's got good go- good gobbler tracks in it there's going to be a gobbler there at some point so um there was a the oak flat that I keep kind of referencing um I went in there to pull a camera opening day of turkey season that I let soak from deer season and it was just tore up with scratching and I tried a couple mid-morning hunts but they didn't kind of they didn't really pan out and then when I heard a turkey roosted right next to it I knew where I needed to be.
0: Excellent okay very cool so yeah is this Pay more attention to your surroundings and and kind of have just a a better overall approach to paying attention to that subtle sign. And even when you see some major sign, understanding how to handle that and be able to get into a spot and and find those turkeys. And I actually ran into that this past weekend where, uh, well, actually the last couple weekends, um, hunting a a piece of property that has a ton of scratch on there. It's a ton of sign. And we talked to uh, Scott about it, like how would you approach an area that just has a ton of sign, you know, on like 400 acres I mean, not trying to over-exaggerate, but probably 40 or 50 acres of it is scratched to, like, this unbelievable amount of scratching. Like, these huge ridges are just completely scratched up. It's like, how do you approach that, especially for blind calling and hunting a spot? Uh, And it's one of those things that, like, as he said, you just got to spend a lot of time in that one area, which, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about your hunt and kind of what helps you be successful and kind of like the breakdown of the hunt, but uh, you know, when it comes to just the overall approach and what you've kind of heard on the podcast, you know, one thing that you mentioned as well, uh, which was, um, Mr. Mike Pentecost talking about patience, which, you know, you had mentioned, you know, a lot of our guests talk about patience because a lot of these, especially Southern turkey hunters, you know, have like a background, especially if they're hunting public land or hunting high pressure turkeys. Like patience is a huge factor in being successful. Uh, you know, how did, you know, hearing especially maybe uh, Mike talk about, you know, patience, how did patience really uh, click for you as maybe a, a different approach when it comes to actually hunting turkeys?
1: Yeah, so I've, I mean, I've always, uh, I've sort of always, uh, or my dad's always told me, like, you know, you got to be patient in a lot of this stuff, but I have always been more of a running gun. Like, if there's a turkey goblin over the ridge, I need to run after him and get close and, you know, I've always thought that you know and hearing so many people especially Mike Pentecost talk about you know a lot of times you can just sit there and you know you may have to sit till 10 o'clock but that turkey's going to come back it's really sort of helped me it's sort of given me the confidence to stay in a spot even though I'm I feel like I'm out of the game you
0: know Yep, exactly. Oh, yeah. And that's one thing that also, you know, I've talked a little bit about this episode, but the episode from uh, Monday with Scott Ellis, and he talks about that as well. It's like, you know, if you find that hot sign, you need to spend some time there. And, you know, he's talking about spending – if he knows there's turkeys in the area, you know, it's pressured, you know, the turkeys are covering some ground where they're being kind of quiet, he'll set a spot three or four hours just get real comfortable kind of brush himself in because he knows turkeys are coming through there and he's going to be doing some subtle calling and he's like if you just keep bouncing around especially on pressure turkeys uh, and they don't they don't really want to gobble you know you're just going to be shooting yourself in the foot a lot of the times um, especially when you can be oh, a yeah. little more uh, patient and, and play it out i'm i'm terrible about about that i mean i'm 100% guilty. i'm terrible <laughs> about that i want to you know i'll sit there like i told i told scott on the podcast i'll sit man i sit there for an hour i'm like okay i got to move i got i can't i can't sit here any longer um, i got to get up and do something and uh, that's probably one of the reasons why i didn't kill a turkey but but andrew did kill a turkey um, so <laughs> that's uh oh, I, i'm the same way
1: I'm the same way about that. I, I, I cannot stand sitting for so long, but sometimes you just got to.
0: Yep, exactly. And I think everybody was, well, anyone that was following along with us on, uh, Instagram over the weekend, I packed in a, a, a frame vest. That I carry all my stuff in and actually have a little, like a uh, turkey thug, the little bitty chair. It's like a little, uh, camp chair, but sits super low to the ground for turkey hunting. And mm-hmm. I had that in my vest and Andrew made a, a post and posted on Instagram, saying this this idiot's carrying a a frame vest in here and a chair Like, man i'm using the frame vest as a backpack with my calls and then you know sitting real comfortable in that chair but uh that's i guess what you have to do and talking to scott and some of these other guys that are very successful blind calling and setting up you know they're like you have to be comfortable because if you're sitting there and like your leg goes Mm to sleep or something you gotta you know move and reposition you're gonna be bumping turkeys uh just you know, with excess movement. So, uh, oh, yeah. but Zachary, I want to jump into this hunt, man. Uh, again, we kind of got a background of what's really been impactful for you in some of those different episodes, but how did you apply the, the different tips, tactics, and techniques that you had heard on the actual podcast and the different episodes? How did you apply that to actually go out there and, and kill yourself a turkey?
1: So uh, this past Saturday, it was, I think it was in the thirties when I woke up and i I know i've I've killed turkeys in the frost like with frost on the ground, but I've also had some terrible hunts in the cold, so I didn't know what to expect and i I pulled up to my lease and parked at the gate, which one thing we used to do is um drive on in and park next to a pipeline or park on a ridge off in the lease to you know get a better advantage, but we'd also be driving well within sight of some turkeys sometimes. So we've been kind of trying to limit the pressure and stay out of out of the lease and, until we know what, what we're doing. Um, so I, I kind of sat at the gate and soaked up some of that heater in, in my truck for a little bit too long. As soon as I stepped out of the truck, I hear a turkey gobble. And I'm like, man, that thing was close. So I sit there and I, I let him gobble a few times so I can get a real good pinpoint on him and i looked on my map and everything i made sure i knew exactly where he was and he was probably 300 or 400 yards from the gate right off of the main road that you, you know you drive into from the from the highway and i knew that every time i'd hunted a turkey there you know a couple years ago i would have walked to the nearest food plot that's halfway between the gate and the turkey and sat there for a while and never would have seen the turkey. Um, I knew that if I would have, or I I thought that if I would have made a big loop and got in between him and a different food plot, that he wouldn't go that way because I've already tried that this year, and he went towards the oak flat that was covered up in scratching. So I decided to make a big loop and run down, literally run down the paved road, and then hop in, in, jump into the woods, uh, probably – 400 yards down the road, and then sneak in from the back of the oak flat and get into this area where I knew, like I would mentioned, I'd I'd seen all this scratching. So, and one thing I forgot to mention, I heard, this was the craziest morning for gobbles that I've had this year and probably in the past two or three years, because I had, I think I heard six or seven different birds, and I had four different turkeys Gobbling within uh, probably 300 yards, and that stuff has not happened on my lease in years. So it was a pretty crazy morning. I knew something crazy was going to happen, but I tried to stay focused on the one bird that was gobbling the most that I got the closest to, which, like I mentioned from uh, from Rich and Jimmy Styles' uh, podcast uh i didn't get too close i stayed i was probably 150 yards away i knew if i got if i would have walked any closer i would probably have busted that bird but i i kept telling myself the whole way in there just like slow down you got plenty of time it's like it's, it was like 6:30 when i got into the back of this oak flat into the area that i knew i needed to be in and i literally spent like 15 minutes just making sure i was set up right and i was hidden and i was comfortable and I could see what I needed to see, and and then i i I sat there, I waited a bit, I did some real soft tree ups, which you know a lot of a lot of your guests and a lot of people that I talk to, they never call while a turkey's on the tree, but the way our turkeys have been acting, I just wanted to let him know I was there so about the time he started to get a little quiet, I think it was about six fifty or a little after uh, I figured he might've flown down and just to add in a little realism. I, I pulled out a dry Turkey wing out of my, out of my vest and did a little fly down and I didn't do a cackle cause I'm not confident enough to, to make a, a good cackle with my mouth call. So I just did a fly down and then did a couple clucks and a couple real soft yelps and then started scratching the leaves. And as time rocked on, I noticed I started hearing goblin in the food plot that I didn't go to because I knew that the turkey wasn't gonna go there. And he was at this point he was probably four or five hundred yards away and he was just sitting in that food plot just hammering. And I it was probably about seven, ten or so. I decided I'm gonna make one loud call and if he answers me, I'm gonna get up and take off and go go after him. So I made I did a series of you know five or six seven yelps and then I did it again. And I thought I heard him cut me off, but he was just far enough away that I couldn't tell. And as I'm sitting there thinking like I should really go after that bird, I catch I hear something. I I was like I think that was a spit. And I can't hear drumming because the way I've just never been able to hear a turkey drum, but I swore I heard a turkey spit. So I said, I just need to sit here for a minute. And sure enough, I heard it spit about three or four times. And so I just sat still. I clucked a couple more times just to make sure that I wasn't hearing things or, you know, I, I don't know why I did it. I don't even remember doing it, honestly. I just looked back at my footage and I had made one more call in sequence. But, uh, I sat there for a minute and then I hear something walking kind of over my right shoulder. And I ease my head around and here come two longbeards running right in. They get probably, I thought they were right on top of me. I played it through in my mind a bunch of times. If they were going to come out from that direction, there's one big tree. And I, all I need to do is then walk to walk behind that big tree. And I can move my camera, I can turn it on, let it, get it recording, I can get my gun on them and it'll, I'll have just enough time if they pass behind that tree to, you know, make everything right. Well, that turkey was about one step from that tree when he stuck his head straight up, and his head changed color when he didn't see that hen. So I had to make one heck of a move, and I didn't think I was going to get away with it. But sure enough, I, I got my gun over my camera and laid it down on the log I was sitting up against, and that was all she wrote.
0: Awesome, dude. Uh, talk. I want you to talk a little bit more about the setup. I know you <clears throat> mentioned earlier on that you were in this oak flat, and it was you know you could see like forty, fifty yards when you sat on the ground, but when you stood up, it was a little bit thicker. Uh, you know what was kind of like your setup? What were you like tucked up inside of? You, you mentioned a log, but like how were you kind of set up, and how were you you know set up for a turkey to come in on you?
1: Uh, so first off, this place, it's it's kind of backwards thick because like it's a, it's a lot of mid story and not a lot of understory. So it's almost like it, at eye level, it's really thick, but when you sit up against a tree, it's wide open. It's not a very common habitat, but I every time I find something like that, there's going to be turkeys in it. So I knew it was fairly thick, and but there's no understory, like I mentioned. So I had been in there when I the first time I went in there and scouting and looking for scratching and, and trying a mid-morning hunt. I found a fallen down tree that was rotting, and it was laid right up against a standing tree. And I don't know what type they were, but they were trees. <laughs> and when I got in there, and like I said, I I, I took like 10 minutes just to get the proper setup. Um, I had to ditch my vest and hide it behind a tree so that I could basically almost squeeze between this standing tree and this fallen down tree. Because that was the only cover I had, but the way it sets up there was a there was like an old roadbed that was about thirty yards away, which was about where the turkeys walked out, and just the other side of that roadbed was pretty thick, and then it kind of made a loop around me in front of me, so I basically had about a forty thirty to forty yard circle around me that was pretty open, and then beyond that it was a little thicker. So like talking about hiding the hen, that, that any turkey that came in would have to get within gun range to tell that there was no hen there.
0: Fantastic. Now I've got to ask, um, you know, just kind of part of uh, this interview and kind of almost wrap it up as well. What was like some of your biggest takeaways from this hunt? I mean, what did you learn from this experience that you're going to apply not only for the rest of this season, but also for seasons to come?
1: I feel like one of the biggest things is uh, paying attention to, you know, really subtle sounds, not only, uh, not only like goblin is, is one of the greatest sounds in the world, but even like that subtle spitting or something walking in the woods, you know, if I wouldn't have heard that, if I wouldn't have been paying attention to that, I probably never would have seen those turkeys. I would have heard them putt and seen them fly off maybe. But, um, and then also just sitting still being patient and not, I wouldn't say overthinking, but really thinking through every move you make because if i would have stood up and taken after that bird that was goblin um i just i don't know if i would have i probably would have busted those the two that ran into me um and also i mean scouting is what definitely put me in the right spot i believe because even though i the even though the four turkeys that were roosted close to me that i could hear goblin didn't come in there was other turkeys around that just so happened to hear me, you know, making my calls, trying to sound like a hen.
0: Awesome. Well, Zachary, I know you have a YouTube channel. I know you film your hunts and everything. How can guys check out what you've got going on in some of this footage, uh, and especially kind of follow along what you got going on for the rest of the season?
1: Yes, sir. So our channel, it's me and one of my buddies it is it's called twenty five feet High Outdoors. If you just type in uh, in YouTube or whatever, uh, just the number 25 and then high, it should pop up. So that's just a simple way to find it. Awesome. Excellent. And
0: what, what, uh, day is this going live? So this actually will come out Friday afternoon, uh, at three o'clock central time. Okay. Awesome. My video, the
1: video from this hunt should go live
0: Thursday. So it should be up if anybody wants to check it out. Fantastic. And one more time for the name of y'all's YouTube channel.
1: 25 feet
0: high outdoors. Perfect. Excellent. Well, Zachary, thanks again for coming on this week's Strut Report. And best of luck to you for the rest of your season. Also, for all the listeners out there, if you're like Zachary, and again, you have success using tips and tactics and techniques from the show, uh, shoot us a message like Zachary did on Facebook, Instagram, or through our contact page on our website, which is our email address. Let us know uh, know, what episodes were impactful for you. And also send us some photos, and maybe we'll choose you for a future guest of the listener success story. Thanks again, Zachary, and best of luck to you. Yes, sir. Thank you, and best of luck to y'all. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman, and thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern.
2: you guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that, that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you. Whatever the case Maybe. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find you know a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsmen podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.